Hi, my name is Antoinette Campbell, and I have a daughter, Mackenzie, who's 14 years old, uh, who helped me with this message, helped me prepare this message. And I have a son, Dylan, who's 11 years old, so he's entering his first year of middle school. And uh, when Linda came and asked me to share with you ladies and girls, young ladies and, and wiser, older ladies as well, um, about the lies that Satan is attacking um, us with, it was just really something that I found to be near and dear to my heart because uh, so often so many of us pray and we ask God to help us see truth, but we're constantly bombarded by the world and the world really just um, just bombards us with a lot of lies that contradict uh, God's word. So when I was seeking God regarding this, he really just um, spoke to me in such a loving and uh, tender manner. He just... Um, poured out his heart to me, I think, in order for me to be able to pour out my heart to you all. So hopefully I'll be able to communicate uh, what he's placed in my heart and it'll minister to you the way that it ministered to me. Um, so from the beginning of time, as far back as Genesis, uh, Satan has attempted to attack young women with lies um, and deceit. And that's been a struggle since the beginning of creation. Uh, God's very first daughter, Eve, was the first one to be attacked by Satan through deceit and through lies. And you would think that if it happened that many uh, thousands of years ago, that he would have come up with a new trick and not still be using the same trick. But honestly, uh, he hasn't had a need to change the trick because unfortunately, it still works. So many women get, get robbed of their calling on their life and God's plan and purpose for them because Satan is basically out to steal their identity through a bunch of lies and deceit. And um, if we start by looking back at in the Garden of Eden and we look at Genesis uh, second chapter and third chapter, I'm just gonna read Genesis 2, 15 through 17 here. And we can see that from the beginning, God, had to deal with and help women deal with how to recognize Satan's lies. And, and in essence, Eve showed us kind of what not to do, uh, but we still, I think we would learn a lot from looking at our story. So uh, verse 15, Genesis 2 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this commandment, if you'll notice, was given to Adam before God even created Eve. So God told him, don't eat from any of the trees. Uh, I mean, don't that he could eat from any of the trees except for the one. And then God made woman. Well, as we see uh, in the beginning of chapter three, Satan, in the form of a serpent, approached the woman, Eve, when she was alone enough for him to talk to her directly, although Adam was still near. <laughs> and isn't it just like Satan that he seems to find us at our most vulnerable time uh, in order to try to start bombarding our minds with these lies? He waits until we're tired, we've had a long day, we just want to rest, and then that's when all these uh, subtle attacks begin or when we have this busy schedule and we're just trying to get it all done. 
Um, and so we're really just not our strongest and we're not in our right minds or when we've been offended or when we've been hurt. So when we're sad and we're down, uh, we find that often we're more susceptible to his attacks. So in chapter three, verse one, uh, Satan approaches Eve and the serpent says to her, uh, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So that's how Satan approached her. And then, of course, uh, Eve made the mistake of interacting with Satan because when he asked her to try to question what God said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, actually, no, he didn't. He didn't say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. He said you can't eat from any tree in the garden except for one. And then the woman made the mistake of replying to, to, to uh, Satan, having entered into a conversation with him. And she said, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And so that's Eve's first, first mistake there because even when she repeated it back to Satan, what God had said, she had already actually modified what God said because he never said that you couldn't touch the tree. He simply said that you could not eat from the tree. So we already find that once we engage in conversation with Satan, so when Satan plants a thought in our minds, we need to immediately take that thought captive, like the word says, and we need to, to, to pray and ask God to help us replace it with the truth. But if we engage in conversation and we start to kind of go back and forth in our minds and justify it, then we, we really get ourselves into a situation that by the time we realize what has happened, we're much further along in the deception process than we would like to be. So then the next thing Satan did was he tried to get her to question God's intentions and his goodness because Satan says, you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you'll notice that we notice here that Satan didn't come at Eve with a blatant lie. Instead, he took the truth of God because God did say that he should not, they should not eat of that tree. And it will give them a characteristic like God because they would then recognize the difference between good and evil, but it will not make them like God. So what he did, what he does to us often is he doesn't tell us a blatant lie. He simply, he simply embeds the truth inside of a lie. And so often you don't even easily recognize it, which is why it's so important that we're very familiar with the truths of God's word. So that when Satan comes at us uh, with just a little manipulation of the actual truth, we're able to recognize it right away. And so here, like I said, he was trying to get him to uh, question. He was trying to get Eve to question God's intentions and his goodness by mixing those two together. And then, of course, Eve responded like we always do. And, and what two things, uh, and we'll notice the two things that kind of pulled on Eve's um, emotions to cause her to fall for the lies. She looked at it with her eyes. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, this is verse six, and it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So Eve saw with her eyes because often that's what Satan does, right? So he 
He dangles things in front of us. If you're watching commercials all day and you see all these people with all that seem to be so much happier than you, these days you have Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and, and all these other things where people uh, seem to magnify only the good that's going on in their lives. It makes you begin to question the goodness of God and his intentions. And it makes you feel like, well, maybe I deserve to be happy too, or maybe it's okay to do this. It's making them happy. They, they try to give you the, the impression that, Things that God has blatantly declared to be sinful actually aren't that bad and they can really bring joy in your life, but that simply isn't true. And so when we start to look at things with our emotions, so she had a desire to gain more wisdom and it's nothing wrong with the desire to gain more wisdom, but the problem with that kind of temptation is that there's God's way of doing it and there's the world's way of doing it. And so, of course, like we know, Satan's plan is never for us to follow God's way of doing it. It's always to, to follow the world's way of doing it. And that's where we get into trouble. Um, and then we'll notice, which is so often true when it comes to sin, once she had done what she should not have done and disobeyed God, then in order to make herself, full, you know, of course, you want somebody else to, to kind of sin with you. It makes you feel a little bit better and you don't want to be the only one. So she gave some to her husband and, and enticed him to have some of the fruit. <laughs> and so I kind of like to think of this as uh, the first documented biblical example of peer pressure, if you will. Uh, so Eve convinced her husband to eat the um, fruit, but verse three, I mean, chapter three, verse seven, makes sure to point out that Adam made the choice to eat it. So here's the peer pressure that we often feel as, as young women, as well as older women, right? Because if everybody else is doing it, if our kids, you know, if you, if God hasn't led you to put your kids in 50 million activities because their schedule is so full and maybe you instead want to reserve time so that you guys have family time or Bible study time or uh, church time or just time for kids to be kids. Often when you look and, and you find that everyone else, it seems to be in all of these different activities and sports, and it makes you feel like maybe they're getting an edge or they're getting an advantage. Even that kind of subtle peer pressure can cause you to disobey God because we have to stay in tune and we have to do God's will for our lives despite what someone else is doing to the left or to the right of us. So in school, the same thing applies. So, I mean, how often do we want to do something because everybody else is doing it? And so the thing is, is that the part of it that we see everybody else doing, we usually don't see everybody else's mistakes and downfalls in what they're doing. We only see all of the accolades and all of the fun and all of the excitement about it, but we don't see what it actually costs them. So, you know, it's important that, that you resist peer pressure, which God addressed directly here in the Bible, that, that power of the peer pressure, because when he came back um, to seek to uh, fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden, he realized that they were hiding. And so... Why were they hiding? Well, at this point, they were hiding because their eyes had been opened, and now they recognized the consequence of, A, Eve engaging with Satan. She then clearly recognized that she had been deceived, um, and Adam, you know, of course, uh, agreeing with her and going along with it, he recognized it. And so, you know, when it comes to sin, that's always the natural um consequence, and that's always Satan's underlying objective, is to increase the distance between us and God. That's the purpose of us, of him trying to entice us with sin. Um, and then I find this actually kind of comical, because when God called out to Adam and asked him 
what happened and where were you? Uh, he says, well, um, we're hiding because we're naked. And God says, you know, as if he didn't already know, why are you hiding or who told you that you were naked? So God knew right away. Um, and yet they were still uh, in dialogue with him um, just so that he could bring to their, I think he was asking them them their, those questions so that they could then recognize that they had sinned and what that sin had cost them because of course he already knows what it cost us. And so I find this part, this is the part I was talking about that I find kind of comical. When God asked Adam, um, why did you do what I asked you, what I commanded you not to do? He actually, Adam actually responds in verse 12 of chapter three by trying to blame God <laughs> for him falling short of God's commands. And so he says, Adam said, the woman that you put here with me gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So he starts off trying to blame God for giving him the woman. So he tried to blame God for giving him his blessing. Then he was blaming the woman. He was blaming the blessing himself before he finally said, then I ate it. It was, it's literally in that order. So first he says, the woman you put me here with, she gave me fruit from the tree. Then thirdly, he finally accepted responsibility and I ate it. Um, and of course, God had to then punish um, all of them, each of them that were involved in sin, because that's just God's way. Um, but it kind of reminds me like with my son when he was younger. And I would say, you know, we, we kept our cookie jar out on the, on the cabinet or if I bake cookies and I'd leave the plate of cookies out. But they knew that they had to first ask permission or that those cookies were supposed to be had uh, after dinner, you know. And so... When I would catch Dylan or when I would notice that when he was much younger and I would notice that some of the cookies were gone or sometimes the evidence would be so clear because they would be, I would find the remnants of the cookies around his mouth because he didn't have enough, you know, he, he had enough sense to pull up a chair and climb on it and get the cookie off the cabinet, but he didn't even think about the fact that, you know, the chocolate was all over his face. And so when I'd ask him, about uh, eating the cookie, you know, I'd always give them an opportunity to tell the truth. And usually he was a pretty honest kid and he told the truth that he ate the cookie. But when I'd ask him, why did he eat the cookie? He would say, well, because you left it out on the cabinet for me to see. <laughs> and so the thing is, is that, you know, he had to learn. And so uh, over time, and so of course he would still have a consequence, but he had to learn over time that just because the cookie was out on the cabinet for him to see, um, it did not give him the green light to eat the cookie and surely it didn't give him the green light to blame me for not hiding the cookies from him. Uh, and at that young age, he had to learn that he actually had self-control and that while he practiced self-control, of course, there would still have to be consequences to kind of entice him to even want to use his self-control because at, at, I'm going to say two or three, he really thought that, well, if you didn't want me to eat the cookies, you wouldn't have put them out for me to see. Even though you told me not to eat them, you put them there for me to see. And so therefore it must be your fault. It couldn't possibly be my fault. Um, and how many of us are saying that to God today, right? How many times do we choose to go the way of the world because it's what's most, it's what is most comfortable to us or it's what everybody else is doing. And, and we convince ourselves that we deserve to be happy just like everybody else. And then we take it a step further. And we say, well, I think God wants us to be happy too. So therefore we should uh, do, you know, engage in these things that uh, everybody else is doing to make them happy. But in our hearts, uh, we know that that's not the truth of God's word. Um, he's told us over and over again the things that he values, the plans that he has for our lives. And if we're willing to listen, 
with our heart and ask him to help us, then we can obey those things. Um, but like I said, God addressed peer pressure head on because if you look at, um, if you look at chapter, I mean, verse maybe 13, uh, when God starts to talk about, um, let's see, actually it's verse 17 where he addresses it directly with Adam. So in the previous verses, he issues uh, Satan his punishment that he'll crawl around on his belly and that he'll always be at war and at the heels of man um, for his role in it. He gave Eve her punishment of pain during childbearing and her desire being for her husband and that he would rule over her. But then for Adam, he was very direct. He said uh, in verse 17, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit. So he addressed Adam's uh, blame game that he tried to play. He addressed it head on and he said, but you still had a choice because you chose to listen to her and you ate the fruit from the tree from which I commanded you. And therefore, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. So God is very clear that uh, peer pressure is not an excuse. Um, and, and so we have to be aware of that because we'll still be held accountable when the time comes. So in summary, what we kind of look at back at this story, we realize that, you know, Eve and Adam basically gave power to Satan because Satan doesn't really have any actual power unless he convinces us to cooperate with him. And then we give him the power. And so Eve started off by listening to Satan's lies. So first of all, we don't listen. So again, we take those caps, um, we take those thoughts captive. I mean, how many times when something happens, let's say somebody offends you and they say something that's really appropriate, inappropriate, and it's hurtful to you, you know, you can get in your mind that that person doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Uh, and then you can take it a step further and you could even, uh, if you dwell and think about that lie and just kind of let it molder instead of taking it captive when it comes, when you start to think that she doesn't deserve my forgiveness, then that's when you need to pray and ask God, you know, to help you. God understands our flesh is weak, um, but that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is for. And so if we ask and seek his help, then he'll help us. But if instead we let that thought kind of continue on, we dwell on it and we think about it, and then before we realize it, we may take it a step further and we would say, well, actually, if I forgave her, that wouldn't uh, teach that would teach her that it's OK to treat people like that. And in the end, we might even com conclude that it would be better for her if I don't forgive her. So now not only um, have you decided that you're not going to obey, you've actually justified your disobedience and decided that it's even better than the plan that God had uh, for us, because God is really clear on forgiveness. But this is kind of how something unintentional, small lies that start off as a thought can grow into outright sin if we don't catch it early on. Because when we get caught up in our emotions, um, they can be very strong and often they can lead us to actually take an action um, on the lie, which is what Eve did when she actually ate the fruit. So she, she listened, she dwelled and thought about it and engaged in conversation with Satan. Um, and then she went on to act on it. And so that's where the, the where the problem comes in. So the handout that I provided, um, it, it, it's actually four specific lies that I think that God put on my heart for me to share with this particular group of ladies um, that I think we all deal with in one form or another. But I just thought it was so sweet that the way he gave these to me, which is in my handout, is basically he gave me um, a letter 
that he wanted me to share um, with his with his daughters. So I'm just going to kind of read it, but I'm going to go through each of the uh, points as a part of my discussion. But the opening of it says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a father that loves you dearly. You are my beloved daughter. Starting with my first daughter, Eve, Satan has tried to bombard my children with carefully crafted lies and deception to prevent them from knowing the depth of my love for them and the wonderful plan I have for each of your lives. The following are just a few of the common lies he uses to control your thoughts and beliefs and ultimately your actions. And at the heart of these lies is an attempt to get you to doubt God's character, our Christ identity in relationship with God, and the instructions that God has given us so that the protection that he promises is available to us. So the four lies uh, that we're going to look at, the first one is, God is not really involved in the details of my life. I'm my own authority. So basically it means that we have a tendency to believe that God exists, but we don't really believe that he knows and personally cares about even the smallest details of our life. So we know his word, but we don't necessarily trust his word. And so we tend to these, you know, people who believe this lies or when we find ourselves believing this lie, we read our Bibles, we go to church. But, you know, when something horrible happens or we encounter a problem or something bad happens, rather than immediately going to God um, and praying and asking him to help us, we may tend to go talk to someone else about what we should do complain, you know, to just about anybody that'll listen. Sometimes we panic and our minds can take us down the worst case scenarios. Or another thing that we do and we don't even realize that even this is sin, we figure out how we are going to handle it. And if we do any of these things before we pray and ask God to guide us, we may he may lead us to do some of these things. He may lead us to go talk to a certain person. He may show us how we can take care of it. Um, but the point is, is that he, he loves it when we first come to him in prayer and we ask for his help and we actually expect his help. And then we, we respond, uh, based on what we feel like he's leading us to do. And so a scripture that I've uh, quoted here is Luke 12, six through seven. And this is the amplified version. It says, what's the price of two or three pet canaries, some loose change, right? But God never overlooks a single one, and he pays even greater attention to you, down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by all of this bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. And so God wants you to know that uh, the Bible is an invitation from God for us to enter into a relationship with him, an intimate relationship with him. Um, and in the confines of that relationship, that's where we'll get to know who God is, um, and we'll get to know his character and we'll get to know his heart. But even more importantly, we'll get to know who he created us to be. That's kind of like a hidden treasure that comes through spending quality time with God. Um, if you think of how you were as a child, uh, when we were born uh, and we were infants, our parents had to tell us what to do and what not to do. And they had to closely watch us. Uh, in order to instruct us, because at that time, we simply didn't know right from wrong. And so they used, you know, as we got older, the methods that they used to, to get our attention may have changed, but their heart stayed the same. And so if you're three years old or four years old and you're outside playing and the ball rolls into the street and you want to run after it so you can get it as fast as you can, and our parents um, lovingly just simply would not let you do that, right? And so they understood even before you could understand. So if you're two years old, you don't understand that it's necessary to look both ways before you cross the street because a car could be coming. And so um, 
there would be, you would be very stern in telling them, no, you cannot run out into the street and, and get that ball without looking both ways. The same reason that you couldn't convince your parents that it was a good idea for you to play in the street. Well, as you got older, you began to know for yourself that you couldn't go out into the street. But not only did you begin to know those things, but as you got older and you grew in relationship, in a loving, caring, protective relationship with your parents, you also kind of began to know their heart about certain things. So often, I mean, I can remember being in elementary and in middle school, and kids would ask me about certain things. Um, in high school or middle school, they'd ask me about going to a party at a friend's house and no parents were gonna be there. Well, because I had been in relationship with my mother, I didn't have to come home and ask her, can I go to this party that these parents are not going to be at? Because in the confines of that relationship, I already knew, I began to know without her even having to tell me that no, that's not something that she would be okay with. And I even began to know the why behind she wouldn't, why she wouldn't be okay with it. And so that wasn't true about every single thing, but just over time, from me spending time with her, she didn't have to explicitly say to me anymore, no, you can't do this. Yes, you can do that. No, you can't do this. I knew her heart towards me and I knew the things that wouldn't be safe and therefore that wouldn't be something that she would want me to do whether she was with me or not. Um, and then I, and then when I didn't know, I knew that I could come and I could ask her and she would give me an answer. Uh, and sometimes she would explain the answer if it was something that I was able to understand. Uh, but if not, it would just be a no because I told you so. But she expected me to trust that no because of the relationship uh, that we had built over time. And because she had demonstrated to me over and over again that her love for me uh, was such that she was always seeking my best. And so that's what God desires for us to do in relationship with him. And so maybe you start off just reading uh, God's word on an ongoing basis. But as you do that, as you read God's word and you pray and you worship and you spend time with him, you develop this intimate relationship and you start to understand that even God knows the rules that he's requiring us to obey are for our own good and for our own protection. And sometimes we can see it but even if we can't see it, um, we know God's heart. So when he says, knowing we don't understand the why at that time, we can still fully obey him because we know his heart towards us. So yes, God does care about the details of our lives. And yes, he does want you to be uh, in relationship with him um, so that you can discover God's true purpose and plan for you because each one of us were created with the true purpose and plan in mind. And so one story that my daughter shared during this time was something that she actually was facing in the in the weeks leading up to uh, this conference, this mother-daughter conference. And she had a friend and she had realized that just gradually uh, they had been texting each other over time and they were really good friends. Uh, she, they still are really good friends. But, you know, she noticed that maybe sometimes uh, their texts could... Um, kind of lean on the verge of being a little bit gossipy. So maybe you just started off sharing something that happened, what somebody did or said, but then you took it a little bit further and you maybe said, oh, she always does this and blah, blah, blah. And, and my daughter knew in her heart that that's not who she was. And she knew that that really wasn't how she wanted their friendship to go because, um, you know, she, she knew that the right thing to do 
was basically to take those things to God um, or to discuss it in a safe environment like with us. But in general, she's always been taught that you don't say things around someone that you wouldn't say if they were there. And even if you text, you still did the same, you know, it still had the same effect. So she knew that she needed to address this directly with her friend and say, hey, we both have, you know, I don't think this was our intentions, but this is what has happened. But for some reason, she was very nervous about approaching it because she felt like it would hurt her friend's feelings or that her friend would be mad at her and maybe not want to be her friend anymore. So she came and talked to me about it and I asked her what she thought she should do. And she said she was going to pray about it. So we prayed about it. Um, and I asked her a little bit later, well, what did, you know, what do you think you should do? She says, well, I think God wants me to talk to her about it directly, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, she had a lot of anxiety about having to, to confront the issue head on. I said, okay, well, I guess you can continue to pray about it. But now you're saying that, you know, it's clear to you what God wants you to do. So now you have to pray for him to help you do it. So we had already been doing this Bible study that we started last May together. And it just so happened that that same day, the lesson that she came upon was a story that one of the ladies who had written the book talked about a time that God told her that she had um, used a relationship that God had given her as a blessing, but that she had become dishonest in the friendship and that she had to go and talk to the friend. She had to admit that she had been lying and she had to go and talk. So very similar situation. And she talked about how she did it and how hard it was. And I tell you, when my daughter came down to tell me about it, it was such a weight lifted off her shoulders uh, to, to hear that there was this other young lady or this actually adult lady because she's in her 40s that had gone through the exact same thing that Mackenzie was going through. And she even had, you know, went through the step by step of how God told her to handle it and all of that. And so it actually gave Kenzie a lot of peace about going ahead and moving forward uh, and sharing this with her friend. So she was able to have this discussion with her friend. And yes, her friend did get her feelings hurt initially. And, and she was a little sad and she even cried and whatnot. But then, you know, like I told her, you know, they continued to talk through it so that she understood that she really wanted what was best for both of them. And she, you know, wasn't upset with her and it was a mutual. And in the end, they were just both better because of it. But it was a very difficult thing for her to face. But see, the thing is, is that what she realized is that God even cared about the little detail of her having so much anxiety about talking to the young lady that God planted that to be the day that she would see that particular devotion. He knew this was going to come, what, 90 days before, because that's when we started this Bible study. So the day for that particular message that she needed to hear at that exact time was scheduled the prayer the answer to her prayer was already in place before she even asked so she was just reminded of how much god really does care about the details uh, of her life and that just meant a lot to her and it meant a lot to me and that's what god wants to do for all of us um the next thing that the next lie that i want to address is uh, that satan wants us to believe that if god really cares about you he would solve all your problems and prevent all the bad things from happening in your life that's what Satan wants you to believe. But here's what the truth of uh, God's word says in Romans 8:28. But I say, if you trust and abide in me through the Holy Spirit living within you, I will use both the good and the bad in your life to all work together for your ultimate good. We live in a fallen world, but because I love you, I use the difficulties to strengthen and equip you to be able to fulfill the purpose and plans for which you were created. And so with God... Um, he's not going to fix all of our problems because instead he often has the mindset of using our problems to help fix things in us that are maybe preventing us or hindering us or just needing to help equip us 
to walk out the full purpose and the calling of our lives. And so, but even though he looks at it that way, he's still very compassionate. He's very loving. Um, I know you're familiar with the story of Lazarus and how Jesus even wept at the heartbreak that his death caused his sisters. So he's not looking at you saying, oh, well, that's too bad. You'll, you know, you'll be okay. He still wants to comfort you. He still wants to encourage you. He still loves when we lovingly come to him. And in James, he says, please seek my wisdom, seek my face. He wants us to seek him in the, in the midst of our troubles, but he also is very clear in that he wants us to trust him for the outcome. So when things don't go what we think to be our way, he just wants us to trust and believe that he will work all of those things out together for our good and ultimately for his glory. And that actually does require trust because with God, even when we make a mistake, um, yes, we do need to, uh, it does need to lead to conviction, us recognizing our sin and repentance, but then ultimately it's all about restoration. So he uses the good and the bad, whether it's something that's our fault or something that's not our fault. He uses all of that together for our good and we have to trust in that. And so when Satan tries to make you think that God doesn't care or that God is the one doing something to you, although God allows things to happen because we live in a fallen world, he never goes back on his promise of always being with us and always using those things for our good. So we just have to remember that. Um, and then the third one is Satan wants you to believe that you're automatically safe from the dangers that come along with technology use like cell phones, TV, Internet, video games, etc. And the reason I included this one is because this is another one of those subtle things. Uh, with my husband and I both being engineers, we absolutely love technology. We think it's the best thing ever. Um, however, we also realize that our that we are, as well as our children, are just bombarded with more information than we've ever had before. Even in the privacy of your home, you now have access to things that maybe you would have never even dreamed of, um, of, of having access to previously. I mean, they talk about uh, young people that get addicted to things like online pornography. They often came across it when they were online doing their homework and they looked up a different term and then all of these inappropriate things pop up. So all I want to say about this is that technology is a blessing from God and it's a great thing. I mean, we use our Bible app and we use all different kind of a one place where it gives you access. That's an app that gives you access to sermons from, you know, thousands of different pastors and ministers. So clearly uh, technology is a blessing. It can be a blessing. However, we have to use it responsibly. We can't use it mindlessly. Uh, so as parents, we have to set healthy boundaries for our children, even if they don't understand it, because just like we talked about, there's no negotiating um, at two, that it's okay for you to, that it really is a good idea after all for you to run into the street and get the ball. Because even though at two, you didn't understand it, it did not take away the potential harm that could have been caused. You still could have been killed or run over by a car if you were uh, able, allowed to do that. And so, you know, it wasn't because we were being, your, your parents were being mean. And even though you didn't understand it, the consequences were very real. And the same thing is true with something like this. So it's important that we take practical steps like Common Sense Media. That's one of the apps that you can go on or the websites that you can go on and look at the ratings of different TV shows um, and music and different kind of apps that are available to your kids. Uh, Bark is an app that you can put on their cell phone so that you're just alerted. You're not invading their privacy. You're just alerted 
when there's any uh, inappropriate internet searches or someone who is not approved is trying to reach and make contact with your children. So we just really have to be aware of those things. And even as adults, we have to be aware of not overusing technology because I've noticed over time that some of the uh, just the basic concepts or basic things that we learned by nature. So if we wanted to know if a friend could go outside and play, we would go over to their house and knock on their door. And if a parent answered the door, we would say, hello, can so-and-so come out and play? And we just had some basic communication skills uh, that just came from us living life. Um, but these days, because we text everything and we, and we can be self-entertained with our devices, a lot of times our children don't have those basic common uh, communication skills. So we have to be intentional in making sure that we help them to get those things. So I make a point of making sure my children call their grandparents, call their friends, aunts and uncles, so that they can actually have conversations. Um, I make sure that they still write letters uh, on occasion with, with the full word for things, not just with the acronyms that we now use when we're texting. But, I, you know, we have to do those kind of things to make sure that they're still able to communicate effectively and be in relationship with people uh, without a device having to be between them and the person that they're in relationship with. Because God has said over and over again, as Christians, we are to do community together. We're supposed to do life together. And God has placed people in our lives and in their lives that will help us reach our full potential. But a lot of times that can't always be accomplished if there's always a device between us. So I just think that we just have to be mindful of that. And we have to make sure that we don't let that, uh, that overly influence us, which leads to the next, uh, the last point that I have here is that uh, Satan wants you to believe that the world's definition of beauty and success is more important than, than God's definition of true beauty and success in God's eyes. Uh, and in God's eyes, he wants us to walk in the confidence of who God made us to be. Um, and so just like I talked about with this technology, you know, you're watching all these different TV shows, these different Netflix series. And, and, and of course, they're trying to define what beautiful is, what popular is. It's how a person dresses. It's how they look on the outside. And, and whether you realize it or not, it influences you to want to be different from who God created you to be because you start to believe that this is the definition of, of what beauty is and of what success is. And if I could be more like that in this way or that way, then I would be beautiful or I would be successful. And, and that's simply a lie because what you don't realize is, is that when you're doing that, you're doubting God's creation. Creation. And so you're not understanding that uh, you are his masterpiece and every single detail about us is beautiful in God's eyes. And they were picked just for us because God always intended for us to be uniquely ourselves. And his value of our beauty is not based on the opinion of others. And so we have to find our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. And once we're determined to do that, then we can start to see the unique gifts and talents that God has given us and continue to start feeding uh, those talents so that we can be a contribution to the, to, you know, to our friends and to our family. And we can really walk in his calling and plan for our life. So he never intended for us to look like someone else or act like someone else, talk like someone else, dress like someone else. He only intended for you to be the person that he created you to be. And God makes no mistakes in, in how he created it. So you don't need to perform a certain way to earn other people's approval because God has made it clear that we already completely have his love and approval. And that's the only approval that really matters. And so, you know, I'll just say that with that, I'll just close and pray over this and pray over this message um, and ask God to allow it to
penetrate our hearts, dear God, so that we can hear what it is you want your daughters to hear. God, the areas uh, that Satan has us deceived, please open our eyes and open our hearts to your truth, God. Help us draw us near to you so that we can spend time in your word, we can receive your love, and just be replenished and nourished so that we can go out and walk with confidence in who you created us to be, so that we can look for you in the small details of our lives as well as in the big things, knowing that you are completely trustworthy and that you really do have a special, unique plan that you designed for us before we were ever even a thought or created in our mother's womb. You already had a specific plan for us and that the path you allow our lives to go is a part of preparing us to walk in that plan and in that calling. All this we ask in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.